Welcome to another episode of Film Spill, a movie night podcast with your hosts, Chelsea and Jackie. And we talk about a movie by a female filmmaker every week. We also discuss women in the entertainment industry and we play slumber party type games or slumber party activities because we want it to feel like a movie night that you would have with your friends. So we might be spilling entertainment gossip, getting to know each other and our guests. And speaking of, this week we have a special guest. Her name is Haley Nash. She is a producer, director, and writer with Onyx. And Haley, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, happy to do so. So, hi, I'm Haley. I am a Midwesterner and a Floridian, so weird combo, but I'm now out in LA. I am a writer, director, producer, media researcher. Like a lot of people in LA, I have a variety of jobs. So, I mean, my dream and my focus is on female-centric content and focusing on really stories that haven't been told before, really focusing on unique perspectives, especially in the realm of television, which is what I studied in my graduate school program. I've written a number of TV pilots. I have worked on consulting for a couple of pitches and shows, and I'm just happy to be here chatting with these two lovely ladies. Oh, well, we're so excited to have you here today and get to know a little bit about you, get to know what got you started in film. So what actually got you started in film? (laughs) Where does your passion come from? It's funny. I've just always been in love of storytelling. Like my earliest memories start with actually I would tell myself bedtime stories to go to sleep. Like on my bedspread, I had all these ballerinas that were out there and like to fall asleep, I'd tell myself stories about them. And honestly, storytelling has just been a part of my life since as early as I can remember, but for a while I sort of leaned more towards like, ah, like film is fun and I love it and I write, you know, scripts and all of that, but like, can I really do this full time? So I sort of joke that I suffered from Jewish mother syndrome, you know, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, who are you? But I ended up going to UCLA for college and I was focusing on communications and I entered a program at UCLA called the Memes Program, which has nothing to do with memes, just a weird acronym. It's called uh, Memes for Managing Enterprise in Media, Entertainment, and Sports. And through that internship, I got to work and consult with CW Network on upcoming pilot. And then I got my first development internship through an excellent professor there and one thing led to another and I sort of just fell in love with developing TV shows and movies. I was like, this can be a job. I can, you know, make money and also have a fulfilling career at the same time. Win-win. So that's really where my love began. But I mean, I've, my, my mom is a film aficionado, so I can really credit her with teaching me good taste in cinema. Like I remember as like a five-year-old watching Nora Ephron films. I mean, oh my God, her writing is incredible and just really immersing myself in cinema from a very young age. So that's where I'd say it started, but really didn't enter the film industry until a couple years ago. What would you say is your dream job? Because I know you talked about development, you talked about TV writing. Um, I mean, I'm into that kind of stuff too, but um, if you had to pick a path right now, what would you say? It's interesting. I've been torn between two paths, one of which is development executive, focusing more on comedy, and the other half has been a television writer, as I've written a number of pilots and writing is one of my passions. So I suppose if I had to choose a path right now, I would say the dream job at the moment would just be to be a writer's assistant on a show and just get to immerse myself in that atmosphere. But development has also always been my love as well. So I'm still sort of pursuing both paths of development executive and writer at this time until, you know, till eventually I have to choose one path but that's a great question thank you for asking yeah for sure I mean I know like I always say I'm open to basically any cool opportunity so oh same honestly any experience in entertainment where you really just get to expand your skill set and get to really see a part of the industry that you haven't gotten to explore before is really rewarding like I've worked at a management company I've worked at a production company a major studio and each of those experiences are very very different but I found very rewarding experiences and lessons in each of them so yeah it's great to explore all of that 
Yeah, it's it's tough to uh, to find your footing. I think a lot of people struggle with that, but it's definitely a, an experience. Uh, definitely teaches you a lot about yourself and where you where you thrive and where you can improve. So you know, sometimes it can be a tough road to hoe, but we're figuring it out. So and you know, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to tell stories and make stuff that people will connect with emotionally, which there aren't a lot of jobs that actually let you do that. So I feel very lucky to be pursuing that. So today we will be talking about Lulu Wong's dramedy, The Farewell from 2019. But first we are for a little slumber party activity. We have a Hollywood ghost story. <laughs> this is the story of Thelma Todd, and this comes courtesy of Virginia at the Seeks Ghost blog. So we'll have a link in the episode description, so all credit to them. Thelma Todd was a star in 1930s Hollywood, nicknamed the Ice Cream Blonde and Hot Toddy. She starred in 40 films, most of them comedies. And tragically, Todd was found dead in her car on the morning of December 16, 1935. She was 30 years old. And despite the official report, the cause of her death remains a mystery. She came to Hollywood as the industry was just transitioning films to talkies. And she eventually landed at Hal Roach Studios, where she worked up until her death. Todd had a successful career, but her personal life, unfortunately, did not follow the same path. She married a man by the name of Pat DeCicho, who worked in Hollywood under the guise of being an agent. DeCicho abused Todd, and she divorced him. In 1931, Todd starred as Allison Lloyd in the crime thriller Corsair, directed by Roland West. Todd was starting to branch out from the typical comedies she starred in. West became Todd's occasional lover. The two opened a successful restaurant using Todd's fame off the Pacific Coast Highway between Santa Monica and Malibu called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. West and Todd also ran a private nightclub on the second floor called Joya's. The establishment quickly became the playground for Hollywood's rich and famous. The two frequently fought because Todd didn't like being tied to this nightclub and cafe and she wanted to go out. But Wes insisted she was his magnet. Without her, he claimed the business could not be profitable. Wes, his ex-wife, and Todd lived in ritzy, ocean-viewed apartments on the building's upper floor. There were sliding doors between West and Todd's apartment, so they could carry on a discreet affair. During this time, the gangland boss... Charles Lucky Luciano approached Todd. He's probably the one who killed her, but that's just my speculation because he was some sketchy kind of guy. We'll, we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. He wanted a place to gamble, like a gambling casino above the cafe. Todd refused his request and went to the police when Luciano became persistent. On the night of her death, Todd had attended a party given in her honor at the famous Sunset Strip Trocadero nightclub. Her ex-husband DeCicho was at the party and the two became entangled in a bitter fight. After this, Todd spent the rest of the evening drinking heavily. She was taken home by a chauffeur and arrived at the cafe at 3.35 a.m. Her maid later found her dead in the cafe's two-car garage. She was slumped over the passenger side of her convertible. The car was still running and the garage doors were closed. It was determined that Thelma Todd died of monoxide poisoning and her death was officially ruled a suicide. However, when Todd's body was discovered, she had bruises on her lower lip and according to news reports of the time, she had a broken nose and ribs. Blood was also found on her face and in the car. Several theories have been suggested as to the real cause of Todd's death. Here are just two. So one states that Todd's ex-husband followed her home after their argument at the party. He was one of Lucky Luciano's right-hand men. Some mm -hmm. theories speculate it was personal for DeCicho. It was widely known he was bitter about the fact that Todd divorced him. 
Others speculate that he might have been acting on Luciano's behalf because Todd had rejected his request to use his establishment for a gambling casino. That's what I think. They found that her last meal was peas and carrots and they just started to Hmm. digest in her stomach when they like did the autopsy. So that speculates that when she got dropped off, that she got picked back up again, went out to dinner, and that's whoever killed her, killed her when, I guess, after Mm. the meal. Um, What is also known, because she didn't have anything else in her system, it was known that she would starve herself because she was under a contract with Paramount that only allowed her to weigh 122 pounds. She couldn't gain any weight wow. she was she couldn't if she gained more than five pounds or lost more than five pounds then she would get cut so she would get cut from her contract mm. which is something yeah. that was practiced on a regular in hollywood at that time so Damn. that's some 411 that i got on my youtube documentary <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah thank you um the theory that I personally have favored although maybe Chelsea can correct me because she's watched some more stuff about this than me but um I think it was Roland West so the second theory is that he um is the one who killed her he was obsessed with the success of their two businesses together and he also often became angry when he couldn't control Todd And then there were witnesses who reported hearing Todd and West having a loud argument in the wee hours of the morning she was found dead. One account states West was extremely angry Todd had returned so late from her party. Some feel that he killed Todd in a moment of rage and then placed Todd's body in the convertible with the engine running to make it look like a suicide. Um, But regardless... Thelma Todd's spirit appears to not rest easy. Oh, that gives me chills. Ah! I know. (laughs) The area where Todd died has been considered haunted since her death. Witnesses have reported seeing Thelma Todd walking around in a gown, mink fur, and jewels, the outfit she was wearing on the night of her death. And she is also often seen on a staircase in the building where she lived. Witnesses who have seen her report that she never speaks. And in the garage where her body was found, witnesses have heard a car running and others have said they smelled a strong odor of gas. This might not sound like anything of note, but the garage has not been used in years. What do you think of uh, this story and what do you think was the cause of Thelma Todd's death, Haley? Dare I say murder? I gotta say murder from the buildup, yeah, it, from the, from everything I've heard, it does sound a little iffy that she just, you know, was like, huh, I'm gonna go for a night drive and huh, the garage won't open and huh, oh, well, I'm a ghost now. I doubt that was really the case. So yeah, I think there was some foul play at hand. I'm still debating which one may have murdered her because there are, I don't mean to sound like I'm sort of walking the line between the two theories, but they both have a lot of merit as to who may have murdered her. But I think there was foul play involved. I mean, I am not a criminology major or like (laughs) an NCIS viewer really, but (laughs) you know, just from what I've seen, it seems, yeah, a little fishy. Why I think it's Luisiano is because, so she struggled with alcoholism. Her ex-husband struggled with that as well. Maybe that's when she started drinking. Who knows? But Luisiano knew that and she finally got sober. So she got sober and he was pushing it on her. Apparently he was seen putting some type of liquor down her throat to just prove to her that he had control. He still had control over her. Damn. Wow. Mm. Pretty rough speculation, but, and this happened in the 20s, 30s. So honestly, this person did get away with murder. There wasn't, you know, they didn't have DNA at Mm -hmm. the time. They didn't have surveillance cameras. They didn't have the technology that we had now. So I feel like it, sad to say, it probably was easier to get away with murder back in the day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that sort of reminds me of the John Mulaney joke where he's like, you know, it was so easy to get away with murder back in the day because they'd see like a pool of blood and they'd be like, gross, mop it up. Now back to my hunch. Hmm. Before we get into it, we want to mention that our discussion will have spoilers for the film and it is available to watch on Amazon Prime with your subscription and um, also to rent on Apple TV and YouTube. So you can go watch it if you haven't seen it already and come back. And then a content warning, there will be mentions of alcoholism and a cancer diagnosis in this discussion as that is also in the film. And just to give a plot summary before we get into our conversation about the farewell, Billy is a Chinese American young woman who's moved with her parents to New York City when she was six years old, but she returns to China with her parents when her paternal grandmother is diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. Yeah, and so they're trying to keep that diagnosis a secret from her grandmother and um, are putting on this act of a, a wedding saying that her cousin's getting married as an excuse for the whole family to come and see her one last time. But um, this was Haley's suggestion that we watch this film for this episode. Um, so Haley, if you want to talk a little bit about why you love this film or why you suggested it. Yeah, absolutely. So when I saw this film in 2019, when it first came out, it was one of my favorite films of the year because it's so evident through the style, through the story, through every little detail that this is such a personal story to Lu Wang, but also that it can just relate to so many people because there's that struggle of individualism versus the family unit. There's a the struggle of is ignorance bliss or is it more along the lines of she has the right to know? So all of these ethical questions matched along with a stellar cast and just a one-of-a-kind story that only this director could tell is just amazing honestly I it blew me away when I saw it and then I immediately saw it again so would highly recommend to any of the viewers out there who has not who have not seen this film to definitely check it out it is an amazing story yeah this was my first time watching the film which I can't believe I haven't watched it sooner it was just so personal and I felt a connection to Nai Nai at the end of it. Like I wanted her to be my grandmother. I know she's so sweet and just all oh, her relationship with Billy is so, so kind and heartfelt. Like, oh my God, it was just like a hug. Honestly, I think what really touched my heart was the ending. That ending video of her ha having an actual footage of her grandma doing the move, the ha. <laughs> like releasing yeah, negative yeah. energy. I'm like, I have to do that. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to be outside being like, ha, ha. <laughs> yes, push that negative energy away. Yes. I love this movie. I saw it um, back in 2019. And I think I didn't like it as much the first time as I did watching it now. But I mean, I, I still enjoyed it on the first watch. It is based on Lulu Wang's real life, um, something that she went through, as we talked about with the video of her grandma at the end. So yes, yeah, spoiler alert, I guess, spoiler alert for real life, her grandma is still alive, or at least she was in 2019. Um, so that's that's awesome to know. But it's a really, really sweet film very realistic because it's you know based on a real story but also because of how it's written and the wonderful acting in it and it's also visually stunning but yeah this one is definitely one where you can just you can discuss whether or not the choices by the family were something that your family might do or whether or not like what you think about it as a whole i mean the story is captivating the framing is incredible i mean one of my favorite scenes is when they're at the wedding and just the way the camera moves there when they're all sitting around the table is just oh it's amazing. Yeah, when they're playing the drinking game, that was actually one of my favorite scenes too because I thought it was so well shot. I've never seen a shot done like that before. And that, that just created, that made you feel like you were getting drunk at the party too. The whole time I was watching, I was thinking that like, this is a movie of portraits, just the in terms of the cinematography. Like there's so many interesting one shots of people. And then you also get, these group portraits sometimes 
like when Billy first gets to the airport in China, um, or like when she comes home to her family, we get these great like wide shots of everyone looking in one direction from Billy's perspective, um, or from the uh, grandma's perspective. Yeah, it's like we're part of their family, or really we're given such an intimate look into those relationships which is just incredible and really reflective of Wong's overall style and ability as a director. Aquafina's character Billy, according to Wong, is not a self-insert, um, but she goes through a lot of very similar things that Wong experienced um, with her grandmother and her family. And also there's a lot of similarities when we get into Lulu Wong's background. We'll see some similarities between her and Billy, so I'm kind of like, hmm, it's not a self-insert, but like, come on. The film was shot in uh, Wong's grandma's real hometown in China, and her great aunt plays Billy's great aunt in the film. And Wong has stated that even though she did in fact go through with the lie like Billy does in the film, that doesn't necessarily mean that she is fond of the idea of keeping that kind of secret from someone. And I guess Wong's grandma still doesn't know about the lie, even when she was on the film set, because I guess she visited the set. So Lulu Wong says um, in an interview with Terry Gross, We did in fact lie to her about what the movie's about. My grandmother came to the production start party, and she met all of the actors and clearly saw that they were playing, you know, members of our family. And Zhao Sujen, the actress who played my grandmother, actually wanted to meet her. And so she went over there to her house for breakfast, and they spent the morning together. And so, you know, eventually my grandmother came to know that the film is about our family, but I told her that it was just this sort of immigration story about this family who left and are coming back for a reunion because of a wedding, which, you know, is only a lie by omission. It's a lie. But I think that it wasn't that difficult to keep up because even when she visited set, a lot of the scenes that she saw reflected the plot that I told her. I thought they would have told her by now, but I guess because it was a successful lie, she survived her illness. I'm a strong believer or that you can control a lot of things for your mind. If you put so much thought into something, maybe it is fear that kills you. Yeah, I mean, attitude is really important in life. You know, positive outlook versus dire outlook versus just how you see things. Because, you know, we can't always control what happens to us in life, but controlling our outlook and how we feel about it really can change the overall result of it. And thus, you know, a big question in this film is, is it right to withhold the information from Nai the grandmother, and thus make her feel like she's in a happy environment and not know of like possible pain to come? Or is it better to tell her the truth and risk all that negativity that comes with it? It's a, it's a mixed bag and it's a lot of ethical consideration that goes into it. I think it's a really interesting conversation and like, I like that the film doesn't really come down on either side of it. Like, it isn't really strongly, like, we got to tell her the truth. I mean, that's how Billy feels at first. Um, it kind of presents both perspectives, and it's a, a conversation within the film, but it's not ever really coming down to one answer. And I liked that that's sort of also, like, the, I guess, American or Western perspective and the Chinese or Eastern perspective. And Lulu Wang presents both because she is from both places and she has both experiences. And like you said, Haley, like this is a film that really only someone like Lulu Wong could make. So it's, I, I really love that about the film. I think it's a really unique idea, really unique story. Although I guess it really isn't, you know, that uncommon for this type of stuff to happen, not just in China, but lots of other places. I watched an interview with Lulu Wong and she said that, um, she had people come up to her after screenings of the film who talked about their own experiences with family members who were diagnosed with a terminal illness and they were from the Middle East or South America and they had done a similar type of thing. Yeah, that idea of bearing the emotional burden. The family like trying to do that to try to help their relative, but then once again, some 
people might say, you know, more of the Western idea of individualism should work, but it's hard because there's not really a right answer. There's just an answer that works best for the people in your life and for the situation that's unfolding. It's not something where it's, you know, as clear cut or as yes or no, or, you know, this is right and this is wrong. If you guys were in the situation that Billy was in, how would you guys go about that? Would you keep the secret or would you tell her? Hmm. I think I would feel because everybody else there was doing it too. And I would just be like the granddaughter. I would feel like it wasn't really my place to step in and kind of like change up what was happening, I guess, especially when she seemed happy. And like, this is what um, we find out later in the film. Like, that's basically what she did for her own husband, Billy's grandfather. So it seems like in a way, there's almost an understanding that this is what people do, you know, culturally. And so especially me coming in as an American, I think, too, I would feel like it wasn't really my place to interfere, even though it'd be my family to change up, I guess, how that was going down. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, personally, it's, you know, it's a hard question to think about because just imagining someone that you care about being diagnosed with something terminal or something that painful and trying to figure out what to do. I mean, personally, I was raised with a very strong sense of family. Like, I'm very close with my relatives. And I'll be honest, if I were in the situation, I would probably... I don't want to sound like I'm coming from a group think mentality or anything, but I would probably go along with my family because I just want what's best for them. And if everyone else in my family is saying that, and if they're doing it for quote unquote the right reasons, you know, to give her a happy end of her life and to make sure that she has peaceful memories towards the end of it all, I mean, I would probably go with it, even though it would be very hard because I, you know, it's incredibly difficult to even lie by omission, by not telling someone something, by especially lying to someone who's so close to you, even if that lie is for the greater good, you know, because I mean, I can go on a whole rant about the ethics of lying and the different types that there are, but I mean, this situation is very nuanced and that's why it made for such an incredible film to explore all of this because you know one of my favorite scenes in this film is when Billy confronts her father and her uncle and they're smoking and they talk about that idea of bearing the emotional burden for Nine-Eye and they once again talk about that belief in America that one's life belongs to oneself versus in China in which a person is part of a whole so I mean like I said it's a complicated situation but that's what my answer would be what about you Chelsea? I think like both of you guys said I would follow along with what my family is doing, I wouldn't feel like it's my place to say anything or for me to be that burden because I feel like putting that kind of news on someone isn't something easy to take because that's hard. That's hard to hear. So, you know, doing what's right, but I rather them not have to worry whether they're going to survive it for them to not even have that question in their head for them to just not even know about it. When I was watching this, I felt like, you know, if I was in that situation, I would probably keep it for as long as I could. But it was surprising to know the fact that Lulu is still keeping the secret. I guess so nothing does come from it. Because maybe there is this type of like, juju stuff where you still can't say you can't speak of the truth that you just keep playing this facade that everything's okay. It's not a facade. I mean, everything is okay, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Just in that type of situation. Yeah, like you don't want to jinx it or something. I yeah. Guess. yeah. And not to dive too much into my philosophy background because it's interesting. I studied a lot of philosophy in college, like a lot of, you know, a lot of liberal arts majors, which, you know, <laughs> is an experience. But, you know, as Immanuel Kant says, I won't go oh, into yep. full quotes or anything, but the no, idea yeah. of the idea of intention. Yeah. Like if you're bringing a good intention into it and you only intend for a good outcome or really goodness to be delivered to the person for which you are doing this action, then that's what he considers the main thing. Now, Kant is dead, obviously. It's been a very long time since he came up <laughs> with that theory. But I do, you know, I personally, 
I look into intentions a lot of the time. I think about that when it comes to actions. Like, what are your intentions with doing this thing? Like, even if there is a bad outcome or thankfully in the case of the farewell, a good outcome, like the intention that goes into it is very important. At least in my humble, Mm -hmm. very young 22 year old perspective of all of that. I still have a lot to learn, but that's just what my liberal arts major at UCLA helped me figure out a little bit. So yeah, I um, didn't take a lot of philosophy classes, but a couple and yeah, that's interesting because some people say, some philosophers say, you know, it's okay to lie and some philosophers say it's never okay to lie but yeah i think you know it depends upon the situation and like you said the intention i think it does kind of at least for me change things where we're talking about what we would do if we were in billy's shoes but what would we want if we were in her grandma's shoes if we only had three months to live or thought that was the the doctors thought that was the case at least would we want to be told about our diagnosis or would we want to be in ignorant bliss? I like the idea of ignorant bliss. I like not knowing. That's actually what I was going to say as well, Chelsea, because yeah, I mean, while it is good to know things that are coming your way, sometimes the idea of, you know, people protecting you and trying to make sure that, you know, if your life is coming to an end or if there are going to be bad things coming your way, trying to make sure that you have a happy ending of some sort and surrounded by those that you love is, you know, something I would probably lean towards the idea of, yeah, I mean, ignorance is not always the best, but yeah, I would probably lean towards what they did in the film, personally, if I was Nai-Nai. I think maybe I'm too much of a control freak, but I would want to know because I'm like, I'm planning my (laughs) shit out. I'm getting my shit in order. I'm figuring out who I need to talk to, you know, how I need to wrap up my life. Like, I would not want (laughs) to go gently into that good night. That's just me. Mm -hmm. I feel that. You just want to know. You just want to know what's going on. Yeah. I want people to be honest with me. I want to know what's going on with me. And I'd be pissed if I found out someone was keeping a secret from me. If that was like the cultural norm and I was brought into it, then I think I wouldn't want to interfere. But if it was for me, I would want to know what was what was up. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, this is a bit of a different question, but if someone told you that they could tell you with 100% certainty what happens to you after you die, would you want to know or no? Um, I know it's a, it's a weird question, but it's like the idea of is not knowing better or is knowing better because then you have that certainty? I feel like our spirits still linger and that's why there is the afterlife. That's why people have come into this world knowing their past lives because that has to be that has to be something that has to be connected maybe not all of us come back at the same time maybe some of us take longer to come back and some of us don't remember our past life so that's why we don't come into this world again knowing what happened or about our like you know our past lives so there definitely is something out there am I curious about it probably not because I I don't like getting into like that kind of stuff. I just think it's bad juju. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. I think I probably wouldn't want to know because especially if everybody else still doesn't know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because if everyone else knows, then like, okay, yeah, I want to know. Right. Yeah. But, but if I'm the only one who knows, and I have this burden of, of knowing, you know, whether there's something afterlife or not, or what it's like, if there is one, um that would be a lot of like emotional strain and it might like kind of ruin my life honestly because I'd just be worrying about that or thinking about that constantly um I was thinking about the uh I think it was a Stephen Colbert interview with Keanu Reeves <gasps> yes he, I remember this one yeah, yeah Jackie told yeah <laughs> yeah where he asks um like Keanu Reeves what do you think happens after we die and he just goes, um, the people who love us will miss us very much. And I think we see that in the film too, where, you know, I mean, I guess in real life, the grandma um, thankfully did not pass away. But we see with Billy doing the ha ha in New York, mm-hmm. um, that her spirit lives on in her granddaughter. And I think the people you know, what real, like, immortality or, um, 
or being able to live on past when you pass away is, is having real connections with the people you love and having them carry on your memory and your spirit in that way, regardless of whether it is in another, you know, another plane. Yeah, that idea of bringing good into the world and connecting with people and just trying to do your best when you're here. Like, I personally wouldn't want to know what happens after I die. And I think it's personally, I'm glad I don't know because then I'd spend so much of my life just thinking about what's going to happen next instead of valuing those around me and the lessons they've taught me and all the love that I've received and tried to give back in life, you know, give to others. But yeah, I think the main thing is, yeah, just trying to put good out there in the world. Even if that might sound cheesy, it's true. So to get into who Lulu Wang is as a person, she did direct and write the film. She also wrote and directed Posthumous 2014, another dramedy. She was born in Beijing, but immigrated to the US at age six. So like Billy, when her father decided to pursue his PhD at the University of Miami. She graduated from Boston College with a double major in literature and music, which also Billy is a pianist as well, but stop playing. That's talked about in the film. Mm -hmm. She took a few production classes and made several short films while in college. Yeah, and um, this made me so happy, like ridiculously happy to learn. But um, Wong has been in a relationship with Barry Jenkins, the director and co-writer of Moonlight, which is one of my favorite films, um, since 2018. So I just love that they're a film power couple and I don't know if they want to collaborate on something together. I know couples have, you know, different opinions on that kind of stuff, but if they did, that'd be amazing. But I just love that they are together. They should. I think they would be great if they collaborated. Like she wrote it, he directed it, or vice versa. I mean, who knows what the future holds, so. <laughs> she signed an NDA, so she can't tell us if she knows about the Lulu Wong and Barry Jenkins feature coming up. Uh, more on the TV side when it comes to that kind of work, but I'll just say, I mean, I haven't heard anything myself, but who knows what's floating around in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined. Lulu Wong first told the story that became The Farewell on the podcast This American Life, um, which got Hollywood interested in turning it into a film. And Wong actually turned down several offers, including one from Disney, because their vision for the film did not line up with hers and wasn't true to the real story. And she got some good advice from her mom um, about where she should have the movie made basically who she should partner with her mom said the film is your baby and you have to give it to the place that is not necessarily the wealthiest but will give it the most love and joy which was really sweet and i think we saw a lot of love and joy in this film as a result and a24 i think is a really good good home for it mm -hmm. better than disney not dissing disney but I've heard a lot of things like Disney has um, a certain way that they show their films. They have a very, like they have this structure and not every film is meant to be in that type of structure. She stood up for herself through all of these deals that she was getting from this movie. And she got asked about that during this interview that I watched with her because um, the interviewer asked her like, how did it make you feel you saying no or you rejecting these offers? And she felt this sort of empowerment that she stuck to her vision and that she didn't, she didn't belittle her thoughts and she didn't belittle herself either. She knew what, what potential this film had and she wasn't going to stoop it to a level that she didn't, it didn't necessarily need to go or that she didn't want it to go. Yeah, it takes a lot of bravery and creative intention to protect the core of your project, especially when big studios like Disney come and offer to bring your story to life. Because yeah, as an independent filmmaker, it's really, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, of course, but it's very hard to get anything made. So when the opportunity comes to create your work, but then at the possible cost 
of sacrificing some of your vision. What do you do? Do you wait and try to find the right studio? And the fact that Lulu Wong stood up for herself and stood up for the story and everything that's within the final product of this film is just, it's very admirable and I commend her for it. It's amazing. I'm a yeah. big believer that as long as you really truly love your film, like no matter what, a good outcome is going to come from it. Something has to come out from it because you're putting so much love, like love is key to everything. So if you're putting that into something that you're so passionate about, how can you not see a good outcome from it? If you, like you said before, your intention, if your intention is set to be good, then it has to come out good, right? <laughs> Yeah, and even if it doesn't, you know, maybe go the way that you first anticipated or isn't as, you know, maybe monetarily successful or something, at least you're doing something you care about and doing something you love. You have something to show for it, you know, it's not just something you're not very passionate about, it's something that you can really be proud of no matter what happens to it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, it's funny. I took this masterclass with Martin Scorsese on directing just to, you know, try to get some words of wisdom from that amazing director and just master of storytelling. And one thing that he says is like, no matter what you create, it's still art because it's something that you were trying to do, some story you were trying to bring to life. And you had to have some sort of creative intention to put out there. So whether or not people like it or not, it's still art. It's still something to be proud of. Yes, yeah. so true. <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about the food in this movie made me so hungry and I wanted to order Chinese food, um, but it was very late when I was watching this, so did not quite pull the trigger on that one, but I was close. As for the cinematography, I mean, I think it was incredibly done, obviously very well planned, and overall, at the end of the day, yeah, it was executed in a very engaging way. Like, even elements that aren't quote-unquote active players in the film, like food, it's still, you know, you're still drawn towards it. Like, look, the film's not about food, but food represents people coming together and family, and sharing a meal with someone can be a very therapeutic, cathartic, overall engaging process. So yeah, I think the food was very well shot in the film and it really ties into that whole idea at the core of the farewell of coming together and of family and what that all means. Yeah, very well said, very well said. Okay, so I got some facts about Aquafina because I feel like this movie made her like more up and coming. Cause she was already up and coming, but this was a film that she was like the main character and it really brought out her acting abilities that no one really saw that from her. People always saw her as like a comedic type of actor, but this film showed that she was more than just that. Mm -hmm, for sure. I was just gonna say it was a great opportunity and she really got to showcase her talents as an actor and just really bring the story to life in an authentic way. So she is also an advocate for the need of more female directors against the stereotyping of Asians in media. She also is in Nora from Queens that's also based in New York, which is awesome. There is a good subway scene where she's on Delancey. I don't know if you guys see, and you'll see like Delancey. I literally go by that street all the time. I'm always on the train that stops by Delancey, which is pretty cool because now I, I see it and I think of the film. And I'm like, Aquafina. <laughs> She's originally from Forest Hills, Queens. And so in the film, she doesn't have a good relationship with her parents because of that pressure that she has to get this sort of job. I don't know if it's job or internship. It doesn't really say. Or I don't know if you guys got it. Yeah, I think it was some sort of like arts program when I remember. Um, it's been a while since I read the scripts. I remember reading the whole thing and it was just oh, so well done. Like when scripts are well constructed and have so much thought and overall, like as we've been talking about before, intention put into them. It's just it's such a pleasure to be able to read all of that. Oh, wow. Okay, so what did you get from the script? Like what did you see that really caught your attention? 
I mean, the sense of character in the script is really well done. The balancing of the different worlds, which is also delivered in an excellent way through this film. I mean, it was just, it was a really well-constructed script. And I'll be honest, it's been a while. I read it like a year or two ago. Like, I remember seeing it for the second time. And then a little while after that, one of my friends sort of got me a copy of the script to read for fun. Yeah, it was just really great getting to because as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I love writing. I'm very much into developing scripts and creating my own. So it was just, you know, it did a really good job balancing the story and tones because dramedy is an interesting realm because you're, you can be afraid when you're writing that, that you're going to go too much on the tragedy, on the drama side, or that you're not being funny enough. And in this script and in this film, she manages to maintain the authenticity of the story and the emotions at its core while being both hilarious at times and heartbreaking at others, which is truly a, is truly a great gift. Yeah, it's um, totally really incredible. And it kind of reminded me of Pariah, a film that we talked about a couple episodes back. Maybe you've seen, have you seen it, Haley? Yes, I actually saw that in my film studies class. Saw it in a theater, which was so great to see. Like, don't get me wrong, streaming's incredible as well, but just the theatrical experience is something that I personally am very drawn towards. Like, it was it was really great, that story. I mean, that was an incredible film. Yeah, we we both really loved it. But yeah, tonally and the kind of writing, I think there's some similarities between The Farewell and Pariah. I mean, one of the interviews I saw with Lulu Wang, they were talking about like the genre of the film. And she kind of goes, well, what genre is your life? You know, so it has this very interesting balance that real life does of hilarious moments, really sad moments, everything in between. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of creatives often get pigeonholed or sort of put in these categories where like, oh, you're a comedy writer, or, oh, you're a drama writer, when honestly, a lot of writers are more genre agnostic. It's more along the lines of they're drawn to the story and whatever tone that comes out of it will hopefully just reflect the intention of the creator and what they're trying to say. I mean, a lot of great films have comedic moments, dramatic moments, and it's really hard to put them in one genre or another. Yeah, I kind of think genre is like what the industry enforces on films and I maybe less so TV, but like I think people set out to write films and maybe they don't necessarily have a genre in mind then only when they're trying to pitch it and sell it and just kind of get it out there do they have to figure out okay like what lane is this actually in but it does kind of inhibit creativity a little bit to be like okay this is a noir yeah and see what's great about a lot of modern films like the farewell is that there's more sort of tolerance towards and acceptance of blending genres like for instance promising young woman another film directed by an incredible woman was you know that blends so many genres together and I, I would say not as successfully as The Farewell, but that's just me. We're not talking about Promising Young Woman this week, so. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It is so sad to see when Billy finally leaves. So Billy leaves with her parents. I didn't expect that. I thought she was going to actually stay with her grandmother. But now I see the reasoning why she left. It was for the better. It was just to keep this facade that everything was okay and that she was going to see her grandmother soon um because if she would have stayed back then obviously there would have been a reason why she's staying back yeah I love that opening scene of um her on the phone with her grandma Mm -hmm. and we even get from that first scene that there's some you know white lies being told in this family to kind of keep up You, you get that they have a very nice relationship and you also get that there's some like sort of lying or omitting to keep things a little bit lighter or to keep things feeling a little bit better than maybe they are. Like Nai Nai asks Billy if she's wearing a hat. She's like, oh, you must be cold in New York. Do you have a hat on? And she says she's wearing a hat, but she's not. And then um, Billy asks, where are you? Because she can hear over the loudspeaker something's going on. And Nai Nai's at the doctor's. Um, but she just says she's at her aunt's house. So they're just, and throughout we see all these little lies that the family tells each other, um, not just about Nine Eyes' diagnosis, but all kinds of little things throughout. 
and kind of how that builds up and sort of creates this family dynamic. Yeah, and I think it's smart that Lulu Wong starts her story showing that relationship between Billy and Nai-Nai because that's really the core of the film. You know, I mean, there's obviously the relationships within the family and all the other reactions between different members on how to deal with the situation, but as it starts and as it ends, it's very much a story that focuses a lot on the relationship between a grandmother and her granddaughter and what that means and how that overall affects each of their lives. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying, how you would get those like little white lies throughout the film, there was something that caught my attention. And I don't know if this caught the attention of you guys, but I think they're at a funeral, it was, and they were talking about how they hire people to cry, to show that extra emotion so that other families don't talk, right? So it, it's this, um, they're playing these parts. And I guess it's a cultural thing, but it's just crazy to me the extents that people will go or that that's even a thing. Yeah, that idea of public mourners and like how does one express grief and having people show up to try to sort of express that in, the w in a way that a lot of people can't. And yeah, it's interesting. I could honestly, I could go into a full discussion on public displays of emotion and what it's like. I mean, I don't know everything about it and I certainly don't know exactly how it functions in Chinese culture. I get a bit of an insight through this film, but I'm, you know, I've lived in Chicago and Orlando and LA, so I have a very different perspective. But yeah, it's definitely a very interesting subject to explore. Yeah, we talked a little bit about like how people process grief differently in our in our last episode. So check that out if you haven't already on the invitation. It, it, this, this movie specifically is really interesting because it's not even necessarily about grief yet it's kind of like a pre-grief or like a having to hold back your real feelings because you're trying to protect someone else but you know that your time is very limited with them so it's such an interesting emotional situation that the characters find themselves in that makes for such a compelling film yeah, absolutely. The idea of, you know, emotional weight and the emotional burden as a whole. I don't know if this was um, really implied in the film, but it's something interesting to think about. Like, did Nai and I know the whole time that this was actually being done? Because in that final scene where she and Billy are hugging, it's really meaningful, you know, you can tell. And maybe it's just because her grandma is old and she doesn't know, you know, when Billy is going to come back next. You know, she hasn't been back to China for 25 years. I don't know if she's seen her grandma in that interim, but you can tell there's some kind of finality that they both feel. So what if she, what if it's like a meta thing where they think they're protecting her, but she knows and she's protecting them from knowing that she knows? I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> okay, um, I'm just, I mean, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I really do like the ambiguity of that in the film. Because even though, yes, we do start off the film with Nai Nai and Billy, you know, well, over the phone, I should say, we don't fully get Nai Nai's perspective. It's not from her point of view, this film. So we don't know what Nai Nai knows. Like, there's no voiceover, like, giving us all the thoughts in her head. So I really appreciate that ambiguity because it allows for extra layers on the film and makes it even more engaging on a rewatch because you can sort of watch the film from each character's perspective then. So I think that just increases, you know, the depth of the movie overall. Yeah, I thought that it was just her finally saying goodbye. And that was like that final goodbye. I don't know when the next time I'm going to see you because I haven't seen you in so long. And now you're leaving because her family is back in the back in America, back in the United States. I feel like that's sad for anyone to say bye to a family member that you haven't seen in so long and it's time it's finally time for them to leave and you don't want them to go, but you want to remain strong. And I feel like she was like remaining strong. But I don't know. I felt like that last scene, like I could feel her emotion, like her mm -hmm. sadness. Yeah, I agree with you guys in the term of, you know, 
Nai-Nai thinks this is the last time they're gonna see each other for a while. So yeah, it really carries that emotional resonance as all of us have experienced in life moments where we have to leave family and we, sometimes we don't know the next time we're gonna see each other and that's really hard, especially if your family lives as far away as New York City to the city in China where the film takes place. That's very long distance, so. Yeah, it takes like what, 24 hours to get to China? I think something like that. Yeah, it's a lot of traveling. So, and even with modern technology where we can stay engaged with one another through, you know, FaceTime, through even just good old fashioned phone calls or, you know, texts, it's still um, hard when you have to, you know, separate from your family, especially when you've been together for an emotional experience, like in this case, the wedding that they put into place. Yeah, and I think we've seen through COVID too that like, as awesome as it is that we have all these ways to keep in touch nothing is nothing really compares still to being in person it's so true though one thing i wanted to talk a little bit about is sort of the cultural differences that we see in this film and kind of the um, different approaches of billy and the american side of her family and the um, chinese side of her family and i thought this film too talks about this really interesting in-between space that um, one and a half generation immigrants sort of feel stuck in sometimes. So like people who were brought to another country by their family as little kids, which is Billy's experience from China to America. And we kind of see that Billy doesn't feel fully Chinese because she's been gone for so long. And she apologizes a couple of times for like not speaking Mandarin very well. And then she also really wants to feel connected though to that, to her culture and to those roots. And she's really upset by the fact that she feels like her roots are kind of being pulled out. Like her grandfather passed away when she was no longer in China. She didn't get to see him um, before he died. And her family's house um, that they used to live in, they say is no longer there. The neighborhood has changed. And now her grandma too, she thinks she's going to be losing her. So that was, you know, a really emotional part of the film that, um, and I feel like we don't really see those kind of stories on screen all the time. This was honestly one of my favorites, if not my favorite film of 2019. It has been underrated in so many ways. And I feel like it really does deserve more recognition and acclaim because it is just such an incredible work of art. Yes, it really is. Everything about it, from the cinematography to the writing, to the screenplay, to the characters, the way that they acted out throughout the movie, um, everything tied together. And I think that there was a vision set in place for this film and it was fully portrayed towards the end. I think everything came together. Um, the love and joy you really feel throughout the film. I felt all the emotions from beginning to end. And just stop listening to the podcast at this point. Just go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I am very grateful that Haley brought it up for us to watch and that we got to talk about it today. So, well, thank you for having me on because I'm really grateful to be able to discuss this with you guys. Thanks for coming on, Haley. It's been such an honor and so much fun to have you on. Well, thanks. It's been great chatting with you too as well. I would love to plug the Onyx Anthology series based on her true story coming out August 20th. You can find us on Instagram on based on her true story. You can follow us on all the Onyx film socials. So just showing support for all the female cast and crew has been involved with this. These stories were honestly a labor of love with everyone involved. And I would just love it if you guys checked it out when it comes out on August 20th. So that's my plug for that. Sweet. What's your project called? My film is called Salty. It's about two estranged sisters who are trapped in the salt cave. They must finally be emotionally honest with one another in order to figure out how to get out of there. So it's also a story about family and how relationships between people are very complicated, but how by being emotionally honest with one another, we can take the first step towards better relationships and towards overall greater conditions and betterness in life.
honestly, so much of the credit goes to my amazing lead actors, Sarah Martorello and Taylor Knight. My DP is amazing, but well, everyone, AD, everyone involved, the cast and crew was incredible, but I'm not giving an Oscar speech, so I'm not going to like go down the entire line of them. But I, <laughs> overall, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been involved in that. And thank you to Onyx as well for supporting me through this mission. And once again, thank you guys for having me on today. It's just a lot of fun. It's great. So thank you for listening. This has been Film Spill, a movie night podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram at Film Spill Pod. The Onyx Instagram is onyx.films. And thank you, special thanks to Onyx for promoting us. Uh, you can check out Onyx's other projects, including some of our short films and the Based on Her True Story anthology out August 20th uh, at Onyx. <laughs> films.com and next week we'll be back with an episode on big directed by penny marshall the editing was done by me and the cover art is done by jackie and until then don't cry over a spilled film <laughs>